America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco free. It's nicotine free. It's even sugar free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. It is the greatest of all days. It is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday on the Jesse Kelly Show. I know what you're saying right now. Jesse, I love you. This is better than Christmas. And you are right, obviously. (laughs) What, Chris? We have... Man, did you bring it on the questions today. We have the best questions we've ever had. 
Somebody wants to know. I, I see. I talk a lot about national divorce, right? How I feel like we should get a national divorce. We've grown apart. We should separate. Uh, fancy schmancy lawyer has a serious question about national defense after national divorce. We'll talk about it. What if I had daughters instead of sons? What would I be doing differently? Someone wants to know that. Another guy, get this one, Chris, and I know there are people going through this because I get emails all the time like this. Another guy has found himself a bit estranged from family and friends after their conduct during COVID. How should he handle himself going forward? Like I said, it's a crazy, crazy fun day. Would I pass a cop? If the cop wasn't doing the speed limit or barely doing the speed limit, I actually have a personal story to tell about that. (laughs) It's going to be a great day on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Certainly better than it was for the Aztecs back in the 1500s. You see that, Chris? You see how masterful that was? Not just anybody can do that. Make that transition. What? That's a special talent. All right, in all seriousness, let's tell our Aztec conquistador story, and then we'll dig into your questions on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. And before I forget, let me just clarify something right now. I'm not having any guests today. I don't think I'm going to have any guests again ever on Friday. And in fact, I think I'm paring down every show to one guest. I think think I'm going to do that. There will obviously be exceptions, but for the most part, let's be honest. You want to hear me. What? (laughs) All right. 1520, 1500s. Let's do a little brief setup for you because I haven't done a conquistador story in quite some time. I realize we have a bunch of new listeners and for all you new listeners, allow me to just say right out of the gates, you're welcome. All right. Anyway, Spain is conquering the Western Hemisphere. And we've talked about this before. It's worth looking up. Uh, I would look up Spain at the height of its empire, Spanish map during the colonial period. If you looked up something like that online, what I'm getting to is eventually you will see a map of all the territories Spain controlled in the height of its power. And when you look at that map, Your jaw will drop. I knew they controlled a lot. Then I looked at the map and I thought to myself, how in the world is Spain a second-rate power today? Maybe second-rate, by the way, is being generous. How is Spain Spain basically a third-rate power today? Remember, we're talking about 600 years ago. Not even. I, I, I understand that's a little bit long, but in the, over, the, over the span of history, that's not that long. 600 years ago, they owned the Western Hemisphere. And Spain, well, Spain had a purpose when it went sailing abroad. And Spain's purpose was fairly straightforward. They were an extremely, and I guess probably still are, but they were an extremely Catholic nation. Let's just call it Christian to make things easier for us to understand here. They wanted people to convert to Christianity, and they wanted gold. And there really wasn't a third thing. In fact, most people will say that's probably why they ultimately failed when they colonized the place. Britain always colonized the place right. They just mastered it. 
when Britain colonized you, you knew it. They were going to come in, take over, do whatever they had to do, and then they were going to build schools and cities and towns, and they were just going to move in because Britain always understood, which is a historical fact, possession is nine-tenths of the law. I don't care that you landed on a beach and planted a flag and said this belongs to Spain. I have a town here and now a fort. This actually belongs to me. What are you going to do about it? That's the smarter way to do it, historically speaking. Anyway, Spain is in the 1500s. Remember where, Remember when Columbus sailed, everybody, 1492 and all that other stuff from the sound. So we're right in that era. Spain is all over the Western Hemisphere. They're in the Caribbean very much at this time. In fact, our story begins in Cuba. And they have governors. Now, you have a guy in charge of Cuba. And look, he's going to administer Cuba on behalf of Spain. He's going to pillage it for all it's worth, all the sugar. Cuba's always been huge on sugar. And he's going to dig around whenever the opportunity arises for more gold and more glory. He wants to please the Spanish king. Now on Cuba, there's a man by the name of Hernan Cortez, one of the most underrated historical figures in the history of mankind. What this man accomplished in his lifetime is staggering, including our story today, which I will get to pretty much right now. Cortez is, well, let's just say he's probably not the most morally sound man. And look, remember, I'm not saying that from a position of judgment. There's nobody more morally bankrupt than me. But Cortez was a a bit rough around the edges, you would say, morally. He was awesome with a sword. Even the men who hated him talked about how great he was with a sword. He was absurdly brave. And almost, I mean, this may be his number one quality, depending on how you want to look at it. His ability to manipulate men and bend men to his will with manipulation is, I don't know that he's ever been beat. What I mean by that is this. He manages to get permission from the governor to take an expedition over to Mexico. Now, Mexico obviously wasn't Mexico quite yet. Mexico had a ton of indigenous tribes, Indian tribes, however you want to call it, the Mayans, and the gigantic tribe, the Aztecs. And they had all kinds of other tribes, which we'll get to in a moment. We only talk about Mayans and Aztecs when it comes to Mexico. Just like America, there were different tribes all over the place. The Aztecs, you have to understand this. They dominated Mexico. They dominated anybody they wanted. They were huge. They were militarily fierce. They had these gigantic clubs that they would put razor sharp obsidian rock in they were i mean they were just very very fierce people war they loved war and to their credit and you know i hate the aztecs because of something i'll get to in a moment but to their credit they were a fairly sophisticated society the europeans the spanish who eventually got to the capital city of the aztecs they almost all said, this is the most beautiful city in the world, like more beautiful than anything in Europe. These people, they were clean. They bathed multiple times a day, the Aztecs did. Just a really advanced society. I just despised them because of the whole child sacrifice thing. The Aztecs were absolutely obsessed with sacrificing people alive. 
They would lay you down on a stone on top of a huge temple. Oftentimes after they made you sing and dance, then they would tie you down and cut your heart out with an obsidian knife while you were alive. And when they were done with that, they would chuck your body down the stairs and people would eat you. Now, that alone is bad enough, but the fact that they would do it to kids often, it it takes it to a level that I can't forgive. Like I say, I don't do this, oh, all cultures are equal thing. No, you have a garbage culture. If at any point in time you find yourself sacrificing a child, you should really look around and say, wow, I really took a wrong turn somewhere. So where are we going? Well, you're going to have to buckle up and find out. Also, national defense against China. Hang on. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jesse. How do you know that Fauci's a communist? You know the same way I know. You can smell him. <laughs> it's the Jesse Kelly Show. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We are telling a story about Aztecs and conquistadors. And then, no guess. We are dedicating this day to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. This question about... Your in-laws and your friends handling COVID poorly and how you're supposed to handle yourself now is a dang good one. As is the national defense. There's crazy questions. There's Oh, yeah. We have a piranhas versus polar bear question. So we're all over the place today. But back to our Aztec story. Before I continue on, I mentioned the child sacrifice, human sacrifice thing. Chris has asked that I tell my second favorite history story of all time since we're talking about Aztecs. I'll go ahead and lay it out there again. This is a true story that we we think is a true story from the Aztecs. The Aztecs, before they were the biggest people on the block, they were really just mercenaries lots of the time in Mexico, really a mercenary tribe. They were great at fighting, kind of thought of to be a bit barbaric. Oh, the Aztecs, they're a little bloodthirsty, but oh, we need, we need some people killed. Hey, Aztecs, do you want to come join us? But the Aztecs are certainly on the rise. 
whenever you're a military power, eventually you're on the rise because you keep looking around and thinking, why can't I take these people over? Well, most of the history of the world is powerful nations cementing their relationship through marriages. You've, you've seen it. You know the story. Hand over your son. Hand over your daughter. But not, you know, to be tortured to death. Hand him over so he can marry my daughter. And, oh, look, we're one big happy family now. That kind of thing. Well, there's a kingdom out there that's more powerful than the Aztecs. But the Aztecs are on the rise. And this more powerful kingdom says, hey, we need to get, let's get ourselves together. We should be together, right? And the powerful kingdom, they take the princess, the daughter of the king, and they marry her off to the Aztecs. Well, I mentioned how I hate the Aztecs because of their child sacrifice, human sacrifice culture. But look, if you have to defend that, it was part of their culture. It was their belief system. It's simply what they believed. And it was sacred to them. So they took the princess... And instead of marrying her, they killed her and then flayed her skin off. Oh, wait, this isn't even close to the worst part. Then the powerful kingdom comes, you know, we're going to have a big visit. One big family. Let's have a visit together. Let's have a big dinner. We're all one, one big family, right? And the Aztecs are all, sure, come on over. The king gets in there eventually wants to see his daughter, who he had married off to the Aztecs. An Aztec priest comes out wearing the daughter's skin on his body. The king obviously freaks out. What did you do to my daughter? I mean, you can imagine that would be a, a, a bit tough to swallow. And the best part of the story is this. The Aztecs are absolutely lost as to what his problem is. What is your deal, bro? This was an honor. How about thank you? <laughs> so when I say a bit of a different culture, that's what I mean, a bit of a different culture. Back to Cortez. Cortez gets permission to go explore in Mexico. And then the governor finds out some things he doesn't like about Cortez. I'm not going into the whole thing, but tries to withdraw the permission. But the guy he sent to withdraw the permission ended up dead in a ditch with some stab wounds. So he didn't actually formally withdraw the, the commission for Cortez. But Cortez takes off knowing he technically is not even allowed to do this. He's already illegal. This whole expedition is illegal. And he takes off and he lands in Mexico with 600 men. That's it. 600 men. Now they have... Spanish modern arms, armor, they have firearms, they have cannons, they have horses, they have war dogs, armored war dogs, which were supposed to be really, really horrifying. And Cortez proceeds, and I could say, look, I could spend nine hours on this story, it's that great, to manipulate and fight his way through all of Mexico. Most of the time, they do it in the cockiest way possible, too. They will storm right into a town. A massively powerful Indian tribe of some kind, they'll just storm right in and they'll essentially read a decree saying, congratulations, you're all now servants of the Spanish king and you better start worshiping Jesus or we'll hang every one of you savages. That, I mean, it, it, was, it was like that. It was like, congratulations on giving up your God and, and having a new king. You're welcome. And it's successful. Now they get in fights. They bleed. They get in many battles. Men die. 
They're in the jungle, so there's disease all the time. One cool thing, one cool part about it, this is, I hope you're not eating right now, so just buckle up for this one. One cool part is when they had wounds that needed to be closed, they would slice fat, human fat, off of dead bodies and place the fat over the wound and then light it on fire to cauterize the wound. I mean, that's, these are the kind of men we're dealing with here. Hard, brave men. And they're there on behalf of God and on behalf of gold. And I'm not being dismissive of either one of those things. Some guys were obviously just there for the gold. Some guys were there for God. Some guys were there for both. I'm here for Jesus, and if I make a little money, that's fine too. Cortez is stomping all through Mexico looking for gold. Show me this massive pile of gold, this city of gold, this cave of gold. And he knows, to his credit, listen, employees, he knows, to his credit, if he can make the boss money, that whole illegal expedition thing really won't matter. What I mean by that is if he can be sending a ship or two back to the Spanish king, and saying, hey, I know this expedition is technically illegal, but did I show you how much gold I just brought you? The Spanish king is probably going to be pretty lenient in the end. Well, this is putting the conquistadors on a collision course with the big man on the block, the Aztecs. Eventually they meet. They test each other out. Uh, The king of the Aztecs, he's going to play a little part here as I try to wrap this story up. His name is Montezuma. Yes, that Montezuma's Revenge, the stomach illness. Yes, that, that's from this guy's name. Montezuma's the king of the Aztecs. He is trying to warn off the Spanish. He doesn't one, want the Spanish in his capital. And I'm going to screw up the name of this te- capital. It's the last time I'm going to say it because I cannot seem to say this word. Tenochtitlan. It's Tenochtitlan. It's, it's really hard. I know. It's, 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 like, it's like that. It was essentially built on a lake. With floating gardens and beautiful pyramids, where, of course, people were sacrificed. But, again, this was the city that was supposed to be absurdly beautiful. It had causeways connecting it to land. No, you can't see it today because it's where modern-day Mexico City is. But Montezuma's trying to keep them out. He should have kept them out. Eventually, the Spanish come in, and they come in as if they're friends. Oh, my friend, Montezuma. And Montezuma's, oh, my buddy, Cortez. And really, they hate each other, and they know they're out for blood. Cortez, again, the guy's just a remarkable human being. He eventually kidnaps Montezuma, who's a god to his people. He kidnaps Montezuma in the city and just keeps him there as kind of a nicely fed prisoner. Oh, sure, have some food. Oh, yeah, you're the king. Oh, no, no, you can't go for a walk. I mean, not without, not without our people going with you. But Cortez is masterful at manipulation. Now, we are fast-forwarding through a million things here, right? Cortez has a bunch of Indian tribes who are on his side. Why are they on his side? Well, the theme, really, of our story today is culture has consequences. Why are they on his side? You'll find out in a second. I'll try to wrap this up, and then it's Ask Dr. Jesse time. Hang on.
It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. My big announcement. You have not missed it. It is not coming today. I don't think. It is coming next week. I know what you're thinking. What day next week? It's funny you should ask. I had the same question and have not gotten an answer yet. We may have it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. But it is coming next week, hopefully earlier. And, uh, yeah, there are big changes coming. Do not freak out. They're all good changes. You're going to enjoy them. I'm going to enjoy them. Um, very big things are happening. It's, it's frankly unbelievable. But anyway, it's good. We're doing a story right now about the Aztecs and the conquistadors, and then we're moving on to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. Like, how would I raise girls different than I raise my boys? If we get the national divorce from the communists like I want, what's our national defense look like? I'll lay all that out here in just a few. But Cortez didn't just conquer all of Mexico and end up conquering the Aztecs, not to give away the end of the story, with 600 men. Cortez did this with lots and lots and lots of help. Help from the other Indian tribes. Now, why, oh, why would an Indian tribe help these new white-faced people who really only seem to care about gold and take a unique interest in our women? Well... At least they're not sacrificing us. You see, the Aztecs, they would actually leave tribes alive, almost like cattle, just so they could walk in whenever they wanted and take people away to go sacrifice them to the Aztec gods. Aztecs were that brutal, that bad. Back to our story. Cortez is in the city, Tenochtitlan, and he's really running the city by this point in time because he's kidnapped the king. The Aztec people, as you can imagine, it's a city of several hundred thousand people. The Aztec people are upset. There's a lot of tension. But what are you going to do about it right now? This Cortez guy is really good. But Cortez finally gets word that he's got trouble on the horizon. What's that trouble? Well, remember how the whole expedition was illegal thing? You remember all that? Well, the governor of Cuba decided, okay, I've had about enough of this. This expedition is illegal. You, all you guys, gather up, get on these boats, go over there, and drag Cortez back to me in chains or dead. This guy is a traitor and all these other things. Cortez gets word that a large Spanish force has landed, and it's landed aiming for him. So he has to make a choice, and he makes it. He leaves a small, relatively small contingent of his guys back in Tenochtitlan, and he takes off to go fight this rival Spanish army that lands to stop him. Now, I'm not going to go over that battle. That's actually a cool battle, too, I could go over. You should know, of course, in true Cortez fashion, not only does he win the battle by the skin of his teeth, but he manages to win over basically the other army, not all of them, but they come over and just join his side. It's, the dude is just it's absurd. So all that, all that went well, right? Nice. Let's go back to Tenochtitlan and hang out with some Indian chicks and, and do whatever we want to do, right? It's Life is good. Ah, 
but not so much good. You see, remember that small contingent he left behind? Well, the tension was already rising before Cortez left town. And if you have a bunch of people who are angry at you anyway when you have, let's call it 600 troops in town, and then 550 of those troops leave town, the tension between you and the 50 might be a little bit more appealing to escalate that to violence, right? The men Cortez left behind, they uh, uh, supposedly, we say supposedly because we don't know, they supposedly get word that the Aztecs, who have a big festival coming up, are going to use this festival as an excuse to rise up and kill the Spanish and purge them from Tenochtitlan. That's That's the intelligence they supposedly got. And the Spanish, I mean, the Spanish are not above torturing people for this information. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. They tortured several of the Aztecs. It's not as if the Aztecs were the only brutal ones here. Long story short, the small contingent he leaves behind comes up with the plan. The plan is simply let's kill them before they kill us. They wait until there's this big festival, and then they essentially lock down the town square and slaughter people. Slaughter. The Aztecs. It is an absolute bloodbath. The Aztecs understandably freak out, and this is right about the time Cortez comes strolling right back into town victorious, thinking life is good. Can you imagine that uncomfortable conversation he had to have with the guy he left in charge? You know the dude he left in charge was all, boss, it wasn't my fault. On my life, it's not my fault. Now, again, in another cool battle, I'll have to tell you about another time. The Spanish have to basically hold up in in what I'll call a fortress. It wasn't a fortress, but they have to hold up, hide out, because the Aztecs have pretty much surrounded them and want them all dead. And there are more than enough Aztecs to accomplish this feat. But Cortez is not a man to lay down and die easily, and he's not a man to have no plan, I should say. They decide, here's what we're going to do. Because remember, they have to go over the causeways to get out of this city. They decide to sneak out at night. They almost pull this off. They're going over the causeway, sneaking out at night, trying to get out of the city so they don't all die in there. Boom, someone spots them. I think it was an old woman, if I remember right. I'm almost positive it was a woman. Screams out. The Aztecs swarm out, and now the Spanish have to have this huge fight on the causeway where half of them die. They have their men taken prisoner. It's this terrible thing. Cortez is wounded multiple times. They're all wounded. The Spanish, they are a ragged, ragged group when they make it out of there. And it should be noted, you really didn't want to get caught alive because the Spanish after this, because the Aztecs had caught some of them, the Spanish had to watch some of their friends get marched up to the top of that temple and stripped naked and had a little headdress put off them and forced to dance before they were laid out and had their hearts cut cut out of their chest. It's that kind of story. I told you, the Aztec conquistador story is underrated. We do not give it enough credit. It is an intense story. I'm skipping over cool stuff just to try to get to the end here. So the Spanish get out of town and the Aztecs pursue, kind of. When I say kind of, this is what I mean. The Aztecs gather essentially their entire army. They go after the Spanish. 
but they think the Spanish are pretty much defeated, and they think, well, let's just take our time and do this smartly and do this right. The Spanish are tired and hungry and wounded. What are they going to do about it? And frankly, when you look at the numbers, it's hard to argue with the Aztecs that they're thinking. How many people did Cortez have? We don't know exactly yet, but we do think he still had around 600 because all the men he had lost but then gained and then lost and gained. Cortez had around 600. How many did the Aztecs have? 15 to 20,000. So obviously the Aztecs are fairly confident in victory. Now Cortez did have... Indians, lots of them fighting with him as well that went on top of that 600, but he's way, way outnumbered, way outnumbered. He even gives a speech in front of his men as they line up for battle because the Aztecs decide they're going to do battle. And he gives a speech and says, don't worry, boys, uh, science and, and stuff like that will win the day. We'll be fine. He's essentially saying our armor and our bullets will be enough. Well, is it enough? You'll find out next. And then it's Ask Dr. Jesse time. Hang on. Jesse Kelly show on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. We're going to dig into this national divorce thing here in a moment. It's one of your first questions. Someone has a question about the military carrying batteries. We have a sniper battle. Someone wants to know about China's one child policy handicapping them. All that's coming up soon. First, Cortez is lined up 600 Spanish conquistadors. A bunch of Indian allies with him. He's lined up against fifteen to 20,000 Aztecs. In case you're wondering what Montezuma's doing at this moment, well, he's not doing very much because he's dead. Cortez, during the unrest in the city, brought out Montezuma to try to calm the people down. Clearly, the people had set aside the whole he's a god thing, and they stoned him to death. So Montezuma's gone. Now the Aztecs line up and they're ready to wipe out the Spanish for good. And frankly, this battle probably changes the course of history. It most definitely changes the Western Hemisphere. The Spanish, they were ready and they had a plan. And the plan was simply this. The Aztecs, remember their whole culture biting them in the rear end thing? They had another part of their culture that was really, really not very well thought out. They were excellent in warfare, but their leaders, one, they were very important to the men. You didn't just keep fighting when your leader was gone. You had to have him there. The leaders were important to men. And two, they wanted to make sure everybody on their side knew who and where the leader was. So the leader would dress in this absurd, colorful, loud, you know, it's obvious who the leader is out there. Only... It's also obvious to the other guys, too. And Cortez's plan was this. Let's hold them off, fight as long as we can, and then we will send our cavalry in and we'll kill the leader and finish them off. And it works like a charm. The Spanish, 
Their weapons were too much. The Spanish cavalry were way too much. They called them Castion, Castion or Castion cavalry, depending on where you went to school. They were just big armored horses that would charge and run you down. It was, it was a fierce battle. The Aztecs acquitted themselves very well. But as soon as Cortez, who led the charge himself, as soon as Cortez led a charge and they finished off, he didn't kill the guy. Those one of his other guys killed him. As soon as Cortez led a charge and killed the Aztec leader, the Aztec army melted away and got virtually slaughtered. Your culture can cost you. Even good parts of your culture can cost you and cost you dearly. What do I mean by that? I got an Ask Dr. Jesse question. Dear Senor Kelly, do you think China's one-child policy will ultimately come back and bite them in the rear end when it comes to growing their nation since there are 40 million more men and women who will end up helping them when they are ready to go to war? Who won't end up helping them. Anyway. Um, I have something hard I have to say. All right. You ready for this? We've killed 40 million of our kids. I mean, you realize that, right? Probably more than 40 million. And the reason, the reason I hate saying that is, you know how much I love the country, right? And you know how much I despise anti-Americanism and how much I despise how many people aren't patriots. But let's keep something in perspective here. The pro-abortion left in this country is responsible for just as many dead kids as the communists in China are. That's just a fact. That's a fact. And you know what? Let's, Let's address China and us. What will that cost us in the end? What will China, having a one-child policy, cost them? What will our absurd obsession with abortion cost us? And the answer to that question is this. I don't know. But it's a lot. And the reason I don't know is I don't know what would have happened had every one of those kids been born and been given a chance at life. What does that mean? And I'm not doing a pro-abortion, anti-abortion thing for you here, but 40 million babies? Just think about 40 million babies lined up for you, all out on the ground. 40 million babies. Which one of those kids is going to grow up to cure cancer? Which one of those kids is going to grow up to invent a robust missile defense system that means America is safe from nuclear weapons forever? Which one of those kids is going to grow up to be a great president one day. Which one of those kids was going to be a great pastor? Which one of those kids would have been a good mother or father? Which one of those kids would have changed the world? And the answer is, obviously, I don't know, because they were never given a chance. The same as the little Chinese kids. The ones China let killed. I don't know what would have happened, but... You know there were some diamonds in there, right? Let's Okay, let's just assume if you want to make that argument, that's fine. Oh, they're all poor. They wouldn't have been given a chance and end up in jail. Okay, whatever. You can make that argument. But it's impossible to argue with numbers like that. We didn't kill some diamonds. We didn't kill some people who would have changed the world. So if China's in trouble, so are we. Let's dig in. Hang on. 
It is the Jesse Kelly Show on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. You haven't missed the big announcement. It's coming next week. It is coming next week. I'm not messing with you on that. It's coming next week unless disaster strikes or something like that, but it's coming. If you miss any part of the show, you can catch the whole thing on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. On iTunes, leave a five-star rating. Leave a review talking specifically about how handsome I am. (laughs) We are going to have a fun day. I had talked yesterday about my boys and my sons and how uh, I've told them their whole lives and I mean it. I'm kicking them out of the house. As soon as they graduate high school, go live in a crappy part of town, be poor for a while, figure out how to live. Someone wants to know how I would handle girls. My answer might surprise you. Hang on. See Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Did you see the top cybersecurity official warns that ransomware attacks are likely to continue under Biden as hackers get, quote, more brazen? Gee, who called that? Who called that? We've talked about this a hundred times on the show before. Allow me to say it again because it's so, so true. You remember that story from the Bible? It's in the New Testament, so Chris may not remember. But the story where Paul gets arrested, you know, they're beating him up, and and Paul drops this hammer on him. Do you have any right to do this to a Roman citizen? And all the government officials freak out. They're like, oh, no, uh, Paul, can I get you a beer? An extra pillow? Whatever you need. Why? Because Rome let the world know at all times, you don't touch a Roman citizen or we will touch you. And it's not going to be pleasant. Rome, Rome would come into town if your governor had abused a Roman citizen. Rome would come into town and just storm right up to the governor's mansion and crucify him right in his front lawn in front of everybody. You don't touch a Roman citizen. Now, again, that's not because they cared about Paul. Shoot, they ended up killing him. It's not because they cared about any individual Roman citizen. It's about the future. 
It's about the next Roman citizen and the next Roman citizen and the next Roman citizen being able to feel totally safe and secure when they travel simply because they're a Roman citizen. You handle problems severely, not because you're mean or cruel or vengeful or any of those things. You handle problems severely because of the next guy who might consider such a thing. When Colonial Pipeline got hacked and they chose to pay a $5 million ransom, I came on the radio and said it. I went on TV and said it. I'll say it again right now. That whoever at Colonial is responsible for paying that ransom should not be in trouble. They should be thrown in federal prison. And we should send assassins to find the hackers and chop their heads off. And I'm not exaggerating. Not because I'm vengeful towards the hackers. Not because I'm that mad at Colonial Pipeline. We should do that so the next company doesn't consider paying a ransom, leaving America more exposed than we are now. And we should do that so the next hacker thinks to himself, wow, before I click this button, I should really consider whether or not I want my head chopped off. Instead, what do we do? What do we get? We not only paid them off. Remember when Joe Biden was asked about it? It's a private matter. They kept asking Jen Psaki about it. Well, this is a private company. It's not really my problem. We not only paid them off, the administration couldn't even be bothered to talk tough about it. These hackers based in Russia have disrupted American gas supplies and American meat supplies. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that these ransomware attacks have been rising since President Biden took office? Well, first, I would say these are private sector entities uh, who have a responsibility to put in place measures to protect their own cybersecurity. As it relates to why criminal actors are taking actions against private sector entities, I don't think I'm the right one to speak to that. So total coincidence. I think you could certainly go track down those uh, cyber criminals in Russia and have a, a good chat with them. Yeah, boy, that sounds like that's I want you to. I want you to remember when you hear stuff like that, the next hacker group who's considering attacking America, they watch TV too. They're watching her say that. And what are they saying to themselves when they watch her talk like that? They're saying to themselves, these people are too soft to do anything about it. Anything about it. All right, anyway. Back to, back to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. I'm sorry. I saw the headline. I got mad. Dear Fly Birdie Fly Jesse, I, I completely agree with how you are, are planning to raise your sons. However, I have a little girl and no boys. I'm not blind to the fact it's much more dangerous for a young pretty girl to live in a bad neighborhood and drive a crappy car that can get her stranded. So here's my question. Imagine your two boys are instead girls. How do you handle your fly little birdie fly mentality now? I mean, with looks as good as yours, you know they are going to be drop-dead gorgeous. I can only imagine what would happen if you were in prison. Two daughters, now there's a recipe for trouble. All right. As you well know, I'm an offensive person. I've been told this repeatedly, that I offend people. That I am rude and a jerk and direct and all these things. And let me just tell you, that is 100% true. So let me just get this out of there right now and offend a whole bunch of people. I do not view 
men and women as being the same, and I do not view sons and daughters as being the same. Yes, you're 100% right. It is not lost on me. I do think about it on occasion, just from day-to-day life for myself, how I obviously still need to be situationally aware, and as you know, I carry a weapon and things like that, but in general, I'm, I'm not in danger like a woman is. And I, 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 it's easy for me to lose sight of that. Why? Because I'm 6'8", 230. Now, no, I, I'm not the toughest man alive, the furthest thing in the world from it. But if you're a criminal, what you are is a predator. And if you're a predator, just like any other predator, a lion on the, on the plains or a crook hiding in a parking garage, you are looking for what? What are you looking for? The easy prey, the wounded deer. I don't look like that because I'm 6'8", 230. Therefore, I conduct myself at all times like a man who's not in imminent physical danger. I, it's easy for me to lose sight of the fact that a woman, smaller, weaker women, anytime someone wants, they can make that woman pray. Anytime they have the opportunity, they can. And that is, look, I don't discount that. You you know I love making fun of women because it's hilarious, but I don't I I don't lose sight of that. That sucks. Having sons, I will tell you, having sons is pretty nice. Especially having big boys. My boys are big. They're already 10 and 12. My 12-year-old's already taller than the wife. Not making that up. They're just big kids because they're mine. Big hands, big feet, tall. Uh I love that my sons are coming to the age, whenever we're out and about, if we have to send them to go do something on their own, which we do a lot. As you know, we raise them to be very independent. So if I'm in the grocery store, it's go get me some milk. Where is it? You figure it out. Go get the milk. Learn to read. Figure it out. We want them to figure things out. But we always send them together. It is nice that they're old enough now. Nobody's snatching up my boys. Definitely not when they're together. Now, could they? Oh, yeah, sure, but there's just easier prey out there. If I had girls, I would raise them very differently. I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit if I had girls, I'm pretty sure girls would own me. I, I, because I do worry about this world. I know how many predators there are out there. I'm not trying to freak you out right now. I'm not, but if you're curious especially if you have kids or if you're a woman or if you have a woman. Do me a favor right now. As you hear the sound of my voice, if you're in a safe place to do it, look up your state's sex offender registry and put in your zip code. I know what you're thinking. Jesse, you don't understand. I live I live out in, in Timbuktu with five people. There's no one around here. Brother, do it and go look. Do it and go look, because then we're about to have a hard conversation on the back end of this commercial break. Hang on a sec. would never become involved in rendering such assistance, unquote. That statement also was false. 
acting therefore in the defense of our own security and of the entire Western Hemisphere and under the authority entrusted to me by the Constitution as endorsed by the resolution of the Congress, I have directed that the following initial steps be taken immediately. To halt this offensive buildup, a strict quarantine on all offensive military equipment under shipment to Cuba is being initiated. All ships of any kind bound for Cuba, from whatever nation or port, will they found to contain cargoes of offensive weapons be turned back. Shall be the policy of this nation it is the Jesse Kelly Show, and that is back when presidents used to talk about defending the Western Hemisphere. What, Chris? I can say I can use a Boston accent if I want to. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373. Did you look up that sex offender registry? The truth is, yes, I have this philosophy I believe in with my sons. Not saying I'm right. Look, if you're looking for an example as a world-class parent or husband or, or anything, you're looking at the wrong place. So I don't claim to be right. But I am making my sons move out of my house when they graduate high school, go be poor, learn how to live on eggs and butter, butter and milk, Go have a crappy job. Get a roommate who annoys you, doesn't clean up after himself. Go find out how real people live. You know, there was a time in my life, uh, I had a conversation with my mom a couple weeks ago. There was a time in my life where we were so poor, we went to the airport and we would watch the planes. We would go to the airport just to sit and watch the planes go by. Why? We wanted to have a game where we would imagine where they're vacationing to, and then we would imagine what that vacation was like. That's healthy. That gives you an appreciation for life. Whenever, whenever days do get better, and Lord willing, they do. Whenever days get better, it gives you an appreciation for life. However, if I had two girls instead of two boys, no. I know this is probably wrong, if you're a mother or father of daughters, you're more than welcome to email me in and correct me. I've never had a daughter before. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. So I know what I'm about to say is probably wrong. But I would buy her the nicest, safest car humanly possible. Oh, I would probably still kick her out. She wouldn't be in some crappy apartment she could afford. Just send the bill to dad. You're going to be in a nice apartment with the gate and a security guard. I want cameras. I want, I, I'll add five deadbolts to the door. Don't ever talk to a boy. In all seriousness, no, I would, I would treat it differently because they are different. When my son, James, he's my oldest, he's 12 now. When my son, James, is 18 years old and I kick him out of the house, James is easily going to be six foot five. James will be fine. Six foot five, knows how to handle himself, knows how to handle a weapon. Go live in the bad part of town. If if James turned out to be Jenny and she's some five seven dime and it's my daughter, you are going to a nice apartment with a nice car and just send dad the bill. I'll handle it. I look in my own family. Now my sister happens to be successful. She's very successful. She does contract work for some big company. She's, you know, she actually, believe it or not, passed law school. She was, a, she was a lawyer, although I don't think she still counts as being a lawyer. She doesn't do that. But either way, 
So my sister's successful. She's doing fine. But if she wasn't, and if my old man, because my old man's doing well now. He's retired. Remember, he started his own construction company when I joined the Marine Corps. They did real well and retired. My old man has money. If, if, he, if I found out he was, you know, buying her cars and, and homes and stuff like that, because you're not, bu- not buying me any of that stuff, it just wouldn't, you know what I mean? I could be destitute. He'd be like, go figure it out. Pay your bills. And if I found out he was buying or something like that, I wouldn't care. I'd be thrilled. Good. Yeah, it's your daughter. Yeah, take care of her. It's fine with me. I know that's probably in this day and age considered to be wildly offensive that I believe they're different, but I do believe they're different. This is an email. This is this one starts out. I love this, Chris. Hi, Chris, or Chris's staff. <laughs> All right, I'm going to skip over a bunch of this stuff. I mean, he obviously starts out with Dr. Jesse. I politely ask you to, asking you to keep your studly face off television. My girlfriend has asked me to grow a beard. <laughs> anyway, I'm skipping down to the part that, that it gets the Ask Dr. Jesse question on. You consistently recommend balkanization. He says, I currently live in New York City where I have a legal practice. I frequently joke that I am leaving the country and moving to Texas. All that being said, if the Southeast and Central Plains states could peacefully secede, would we, assuming I can balkanize, have the international political clout to protect ourselves from China, Iran's mullahs, and the east, or, or the left, he's calling about the communist coasts. Would we be able to have enough international political clout to avoid being isolated by the leftist EU, the leftist coast, China, and the third world, which is dependent on Chinese investment to develop their infrastructure? He's, he essentially wants to know. Let's say Jesse Kelly's national divorce actually happens. And I think because I'm the shogun, I'll obviously make sure it happens and lead it, Chris. Anyway, and and I do want to make sure I clarify to everybody, when we get a national divorce, I will be the dictator in charge of the new nation. What, Chris? Just until a republic is put in place. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to have to make some hard choices. Who's better to make it than me? When has that ever gone wrong in history? Just give someone all the power, and I'm sure I'll give it up right away. It's no big deal. All right, anyway. The answer to your question is yes, we would have the political clout. Remember this. Remember, if you had, okay, the Central Plains in the Southeast states, what if they really did? I understand this is far-fetched, but what if we did? Because we are growing apart as a nation. What if we really did get a divorce? And I mean it when I say we should. I'm not being tongue-in-cheek. I'm not trying to be over the top for radio I believe we as a culture don't have shared values anymore. And when you stop having shared values, you should divorce and go your separate ways. I'm obviously no fan of divorce. I understand people have gone through them. I mean, it's fine. There's no judgment, obviously. But if, if, if the husband, I've used this example before, if the husband, if his, if his ideal marriage and ideal future is moving out to the suburbs where we get a good job, good school, and we raise our kids and go to church every Sunday and we go on walks together, and we, if that's his ideal life and the wife's ideal life is going on tour with Metallica and doing black tar heroin, well, there's no merging those two worlds. You really should probably just go your separate ways because you can't even do a little of what she wants, right? I mean, you can't. You can, well, a little bit of hers, just a little black tar heroin, and then church on Sunday. You can't. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. That's where we are as a nation. We are completely opposite. 
completely opposite. So all we've done is guarantee that we're going to fight each other all the time because we don't have, we don't have any common values. So let's go our separate ways. But one thing we Americans lose sight of, and this is not left, right, Republican, Democrat. One thing we lose sight of, and I lose, I do this all the time. I take for granted exactly how wealthy America is. You could be a fourth of America and be one of the most powerful countries on earth. You realize that the state of California, the state of California, is the fifth largest economy in the world if it was its own government. We would have an economy big enough. Uh, Chris just said Texas is similar to Australia. Texas. We would have an economy, in a, uh, we would have a country, an economy big enough and strong enough that we would have instant legitimacy. Are we going to be able to take on China? Of course not. No, that's absurd. We wouldn't have to. We would do just what Americans have always done. Form the right alliances, trade with everybody, be happy and prosperous, and everyone would know what gender they were. All right. A COVID falling out with in-laws. Let's tackle this one. Hang on. you must be prepared to go all the way because they won't give up the fight until one of you is dead. I want to get Capone. I don't know how to get him. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Oh, that's so beautiful. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. On an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday with no guests. Nothing but me. It's basically the greatest day of your life. Quit shaking your head, Chris, as I'm encouraging people. All right. In all seriousness, coronavirus and the lockdowns and the, the panic and the masks and the, all the insanity of the last year. I know I don't have to, re- I don't have to recap it all for you. We've talked about, talked about it at length. You lived it. I lived it, right? I get a lot of emails like this. This is a bit of a long one. Hang with me. But I get a lot of emails like this. And my answer is not going to be what you think. So just sit tight. All right. The email goes, the great Gambino of good looks. My wife of 15 years and I moved to Pennsylvania from Georgia last August to be closer to her parents and friends. She had moved down to Georgia for me when COVID hit. I understood her need to be close. She had moved down to Georgia for me. And when COVID hit, I understood her need to be closer to her parents, et cetera, and made the sacrifice to move up there for her. 
plus Pennsylvania is still purple, so it might be worth it. Indeed, it might. However, when we arrived in Pennsylvania, her family, he says my in-laws, and other friends, some of whom I'm close with as well, refused to meet or hang out with us, citing COVID. We spent Thanksgiving and Christmas by ourselves in an apartment with two kids, despite being within miles of family and friends. However, now that that rat Dr. Fauci and Generalissimo Biden have declared COVID to be over, they would like to start hanging out with us again. My wife was very excited about this until I stepped in and said, no bloody way. While I understand to a certain extent why they abandoned us despite us moving here for them, it shows me how they make decisions, i.e. they make decisions based on fear and panic. I have no doubt in my mind that when the next panic happens, they will once again leave us hanging. This has caused great strain on our marriage because my wife keeps asking me to show compassion while I say they first. My question is, should I let bygones be bygones and make up with my in-laws and our friends despite what they what or what they did and knowing very well that they have no compunction pulling their hand when the next panic comes or should I stick to my guns despite it causing visible anguish to my wife as a former paratrooper God love you for that, brother. It pains me greatly to ask advice from a Marine, but I believe you've been out long enough where the brain cells have had a chance to regenerate a bit. Brother, hear me now and hear me well. You can do both things. What I mean by that is this. You can't, it's not reasonable to ask your wife to abandon her parents. They're her parents. I know you know this already. I'm preaching to the choir. When you marry someone, when you marry a dude, when you marry a woman, you're marrying their family too. The family comes with it. That's part of the package. And she clearly wants to be close to them. You have no choice but to go ahead and mend that relationship. However, however, that does not mean you should trust them at all. I have three or four people in my life who I really, really, really trust. Just talking about friends. Three or four people in my life who I really, really, really trust. Friends who I know if the chips are down and things are bad, they will be there. And they know that about me. Other than that, I know this may sound cold. I have a million people just by virtue of what I do that I'm friendly with. But deep down, I don't trust you. And I don't have to. That's fine, right? That's fine. Sometimes a relationship is just a, uh, sometimes it's just a business relationship. And, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a bourbon when you hit town. Hey, man, I'm glad you're in town. Come on. Uh, we've known each other for a while. Come on out. Let's go have a beer. I can go have a beer with you. Maybe eat some red lobster, Chris. I can go have a beer with you talk with you, do business with you, exist with you without you being someone I really, really trust. For the sake of your wife, you can go hang out with her parents again, throw a big fat smile on your face and pat your pat pat on the back and give your mother-in-law a kiss on the cheek and tell her how beautiful that dress she's wearing looks and play the part and open up gifts at Christmas and do all that. 
while also knowing in the back of your head, these are not people I'll be able to trust. Now, that was actually the easy part. Here's the hard part, and this is for everybody. This is for everyone on the right. I need you to hear me, and honestly, I'm talking most of all to myself. When I'm telling you this, I'm talking to myself. We on the right have a problem we have to be aware of so so we can try to overcome it. And here is our problem. If you are someone on the right, right right-leaning, conservative, libertarian, nationalist, whatever you are, somewhere on the right, you are somebody who thinks about things in a more logical way. That's just inevitable. You're hearing my voice right now. That means you have 8 trillion options on what to listen to on the radio or podcast or whatever. You've chosen to listen to my voice. Okay, so you're seeking out information of some kind. You could just have Led Zeppelin on. And there'd be nothing wrong with that, by the way. But still, you could just have Led Zeppelin on. Instead, you've chosen to take your audio time, your finite audio time, and listen to me. Okay, so that automatically tells me something about you. You're probably much more of an independent thinker. You're someone who will seek out information. You are somebody who's going to have more of a tendency to lead and more of a tendency to not go along with the crowd. But here's what we on the right have to learn. And again, I'm pointing fingers at myself. Don't think I'm lecturing you. We on the right have got to become more understanding that people follow the crowd because it's human nature. There's a reason it's a crowd in the first place, because that's what most people do. Okay, your in-laws are panicky sheep who do whatever the system tells them to do, and they get scared when the system tells them to get scared. And for you, an independent thinker, especially a paratrooper, so clearly you've got some big brass ones, especially for you, you can't make sense of that way of thinking at all. Most people on the right get that way. I get that way all the time. So frustrated. Why can't you think? Why aren't you thinking for yourself? Why are you letting them think for you? And we get mad, right? I get mad. You've heard me yell behind the microphone a thousand times because of it. It doesn't mean we have to respect them. It doesn't. It doesn't mean we have to respect that way of thinking. But you and I both have to be more understanding that most people, are they are sheep. And you and I, this life, being someone who thinks for themselves on the right and doesn't do what the system says and things like that, you and I had better get ready for a lonely existence. It doesn't mean you're alone. Brother, you're never going to be the majority if you're someone who thinks for yourself, ever. You're never going to be popular. You're never going to be the majority. We've got to understand they call the crowd a crowd for a reason. All right. Let's have an animal fight when we get back. Hang on. Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I'm so excited. Nothing but questions now. Let's dig Let's dig in, Chris. Don't forget, by the way, if you missed any part of the show, the whole thing's available on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. 
on iTunes. Leave a five-star rating and leave a review talking about how handsome I am. Email, Salton of Sombreros. Which would win in a fight in a river, piranhas or a polar bear? Says I can say his name. His name is Ben. Listen to me. This is so unbelievably juvenile. Of course a polar bear would win. No, no, no. Don't hold up your hand. Chris, don't hold up your hand. You know what piranhas are? Piranhas are a product of the movies. That's all piranhas are. I understand piranhas actually exist. But you do understand, last time I looked, there weren't really any documented cases of piranhas killing a human being. I mean, the the movies want you to believe, and I always believed this when I was a kid, if you even dip your toe in the water in the Amazon and you pull it out, it'll just be the bone because the piranhas will have eaten everything right away. They're going to swim away most of the time when you get in. What, Chris? Chris asked, but how many are there? It doesn't matter, man. The piranhas are not going to be able to do enough damage, even in a river, to a polar bear before it's swatting them and biting them all. And remember, it's a polar bear. They live in the water, practically. This is not an animal that's unfamiliar with the water. That's what a juvenile question. I'm just kidding. I like the question, Ben. All right. Jay Steele. Today you were wondering why the Supreme Court justices were such garbage. My cousin and I had the same conversation Sunday, and he had what I think is the definitive answer. He is a lawyer and suggested that lawyers are, for the most part, sleazy people working in a sleazy profession. Therefore, to rise to the top of the reprobate profession as Supreme Court nominees have, it would be ridiculous to think they are not at least part lizard person. Thankfully, Clarence Thomas is an extraordinary exception and a national treasure, as are you, Shogun. Just remember, if women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. <laughs> One, that last line is so true, fellas. If you, if you look ugly, and you know if you're ugly if you're a dude, here's the, here's the great news, fellas. Dudes can be ugly and still do well. With the chicks. Just be a man. Don't be a uh, honey, whatever you want. Just walk. Up. Be a man. Be useful. Try to earn a decent living. You don't have to be rich. Don't buy into that. Oh, he has to drive a Mercedes. Be able to provide for her a nice dinner out every now and then. Doesn't matter if you work construction, earn a nice living, be a dude. That can be enough for a lot of the dimes out there. Women out there are dying for a man to take care of them. Anyway, as far as lawyers being sleazy, I struggle with this, and this is, uh, this is why I struggle with this. I used to be, I, I mean, I used to be hardcore when it came to criminal justice, you know, I, especially, especially right when I got out of the Marine Corps, and I was pretty fresh back from Iraq, and I probably wasn't doing that great mentally, you know? I mean, I was probably... Uh, a bit harsh, you would say. I was kind of in combat mode. So especially back then, I was the 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 dude for, oh, I think they should have the death penalty for basically everything. And that would solve everything. You know, I was that guy. And I heard an interview one time. It totally changed my perspective. And I don't remember who it is. I heard an interview from a big shot defense attorney. He was one of the, I'm almost positive he was a California guy. And one of the guys who defends 
a bunch of sleazeballs, you know, famous sleazeballs, guys who everyone hates by the time the trial even gets there, you know, killed his wife or something like that. I don't remember what they'd done. And I hated this guy before he came on. I hated him before he came on, and I knew I was going to hate his slimy guts, and what a scumbag, and how could you defend all these crooks, and things like that, right? And the guy comes on, and he made a point that, look, credit to him, he's obviously a great lawyer. He made a point, changed my perspective forever. Because the guy was basically asking him, the guy interviewing him, basically said to him, hey, what, how could you do this? How do you sleep at night? You defend these people and stuff like that. And the guy said, listen to me, listen to me. When I defend someone, whatever they're accused of, I am going up against the state. I am going up against a government with virtually unlimited resources who is using those resources to try to bury my client forever. I'm supposed to feel bad about trying to do everything I can to stop the state from doing such a thing? He didn't get on there and say all my people were innocent. He said, look, you're going up against the. Should we just allow everybody to be trampled by the state because we don't like them? I don't think so. It's my job to stand in the breach and to stop such a thing from happening. And I I realized that didn't exactly go right at the heart of your question. It was more about Supreme Court justices and whatnot. My point is this. I love trashing lawyers as much as the next man. I'm dealing with lawyers as we speak right now. No, it's nothing bad. It's all good stuff. It's all, you know, crossing T's and dot and I's stuff. I, I trash him as much as the next man. I don't know that we can call the whole profession sleazy. Hang on. I like Fritos corn chips. I love them. I do. I want Fritos corn chips. I'll get them from you. Ay, 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 ay. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Are lawyers sleazy? Look, it's a great question. Are they sleazy? Well, let me ask you something. I, I know there are a million sleazy lawyers out there. Let me ask you something. I want you to ponder this over the break. We'll come right back and we'll talk about this. Do you consider... Picking up garbage to be necessary. You do, right? You want the trash man to show up at your house after you trash can. All right, let me ask you. Do you consider the garbage man to be dirty? You see where I'm going? If not, I'll explain in a minute. Hang on.
This is The Jesse Kelly Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. The data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers, they don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants, but they have great ideas. <laughs> that's never, that's never going to stop being funny to me now. That's my, that may be my new Joe, favorite Joe Biden line. Look, the black, the blacks and the browns just can't make it. They don't even have lawyers. They probably don't know what lawyers are. You know those blacks. <laughs> He's just so... It's just so bad at this. It's so bad at this. Uh, Joe, you know, black people not only have lawyers and accountants, they actually are lawyers and accountants. I know you're going to find this shocking. (laughs) We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. (laughs) Gosh. All right, quick, Chris, let's get back to our question. I asked you going in because we're trying to figure out, are lawyers sleazy or not? Guy wrote in, his buddy's a lawyer, says the profession's sleazy, and that's why all the Supreme Court justices are sleazeballs. Okay, your buddy's the lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. I've dealt with plenty of them. I'm not one. He says it's a sleazy profession. I don't think I'm going to get too much pushback if I if I were to go along with that. But my question about the garbage man stands. Is garbage pickup necessary? Well, yes. It's another thing we Americans, myself included, take for granted. We just set out our trash on Tuesday, and I come back home, and someone came and picked it up, and it disappeared, and I never thought about it again. Finding out what to do with your trash is a big part of keeping a nation clean and safe and healthy. We just have it down to a science here. Everyone does. But setting that aside, you know trash pickup is necessary, Do you consider the garbage man to be dirty, personally, physically dirty? I mean, you do. Don't lie. He's grabbing other people's trash cans all day long. I mean, imagine being a trash man in Houston, 95 degrees in July all day. You consider him to be dirty, but does that make him bad? Does that make him sleazy? Maybe lawyers are in a sleazy profession because when your life is marrying criminals, not marrying is not the best way to put it probably, but when your life is being with criminals, how are you going to walk away that clean? That's your life. It's to be with criminals, to deal with ugly, dirty legal matters. Dear Dr. Jesse, the one who never needs to ask an employee for assistance. What would you do? A highway patrolman is cruising along in the left lane, two miles per hour over the speed limit, with no cars in the right lane and no apparent intent to turn off into the median. You come up behind him going five miles an hour over the speed limit. What do you do? Ride his tail till he pulls over in the right lane? Two, pass him on the right side. Three, stick your tail between your legs, slow down to his speed, and stay behind him in the right lane while your blood boils. This is actually from my cousin. 
My cousin Abram sent this in. He signs it, your second most handsome cousin, Abram. <laughs> I actually don't need to do one of my brilliant radio theories on what, Chris? One of my brilliant radio theories on this? I've done this, and I've done this more than once. You know what happens. You're on the highway. Everybody's flying, and then you can't figure out why all of a sudden everyone's slowing down and going slower than they were before. And eventually you find out why. There's a cop or even a car just with lights on the top that might be a cop in one of the four lanes. And, of course, everyone has slowed down to doing – everyone's doing 65 now, right? Multiple times I have run into this scenario, and here's what I do. I set my speed for about three to four miles per hour over the speed limit, and I simply just inch by him. I will, I'm not, look, I'm not going to act like I'm superhuman. To say I am a bit tense on the way by would be putting it mildly. I never look at him. You know, I don't want to look, I don't want to do that look where it looks like I sized him up or, or something like that. My hands are at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel and I, my eyes are straight ahead. I want him to, whoa, this guy's going a little fast, but he's paying attention. I'm doing that. But I inch by him every time, and it is inches. And I don't want – the problem is you want to be by him, right? You don't want to be right beside him. You want to go ahead and get by him so then you can speed up. But you don't have the luxury of hammering the gas because you know he's got the cruise set on the speed limit. The reason I set it about three or four miles ahead of the speed limit is this. One, I can simply blame it on my speedometer if I get pulled over. Now, that's not, that's not an excuse. That's not going to get you out of a ticket. But it will get you out of a ticket in front of a judge. You can just go before the judge and say, Judge, I had to, what are you kidding me? I got pulled over for 68 and a 65? I, I, that you can't, you know what? You're not going to get that ticket. That's why I do it. I play the risk. I know I've never been pulled over. They've let me go every single time. I'm sure, look, cops have seen everything. It's one of those things. Cops are like teachers. A teacher, if you ever know a school teacher, They'll tell you there is no excuse a student comes up with that they haven't heard a thousand times before. And every time the student comes up with it, they think they're the first one to come up with it. And the teacher inside is going, oh, get serious. Not this again. Cops are the same way, especially cops who pull people over for a living. Whatever you're doing, they know. But whatever your excuse is, they've heard it before. But. It's my strategy. Is it tense? You bet it is. But a man has to live, Chris. I can live on the other side of the law. <laughs> All right. Hey, Jesse. Love listening to your show, and I particularly love Ask Dr. Jesse Fridays. Yes, I know you do. Says I can say her name or his name. The name's Morgan. Morgan could go either way, right, Chris? Anyway. I'm getting married in October. Never mind. Definitely a woman. No man writes in about and, and leads with I'm getting married. That's something women do because they're proud of it. I'm getting married in October and want to ask your advice. A best memory, what you would have done, etc. for my fiance and I. Thank you so much for what you do. I look forward to your history lessons every day. All right. First of all. Don't ever ask marriage advice for me. I take that back. It's fun. I'd write in your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. It's fine. Just know that I'm a bad husband like I'm a bad father. I don't claim to be an expert. I'm a bad person. But I was given the best piece of marriage advice ever. 
very early on. We were getting married. We were going to a church called Calvary Chapel in Tucson. And before they would marry you, they forced you to go through pre-marriage counseling with one of their pastors. Now, it wasn't brutal. He was an awesome dude. You just sat, it was like three or four times you sat down with him and his wife. You just discussed marriage. It was, and during one of these things, we got the best piece of marriage advice ever, ever. And I'm going to tell you this, and some of you are going to feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. Just know this is the best piece of marriage advice I've ever gotten in my life. I'll tell you in a second. It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Gosh, I'm so excited for the announcement. It's on the tip of my tongue, Chris. What if I just lose it this hour and just come out with it? I might. I'm kidding. I won't. I won't. I will tell you, not only is it next week, I am getting updates throughout the show It looks like there's a good chance it will be Tuesday of next week. And when I say big announcement on my life, on my life, I'm not messing with you. I'm not going to announce that I got extra Cheddar Bay biscuits at Red Lobster last night or something. Although I did. It's a big, it's a big announcement. Don't say only took three weeks, Chris. Okay. I would think you of all people would understand lawyers are necessary. All right. Now. I got a question about, you know, somebody's getting married, wants to know what's what's the best, you know, what are the best piece of advice we got? And as I said, going into the break, before we, uh, the, the church we were going to at the time in Tucson would marry us, they insisted that you go through mandatory pre-marriage counseling with one of their pastors. Now, we loved him and his wife. His name was Troy. Her name was Lisa. They were just wonderful people. I don't know if they're still there. So sorry, Troy, if I just called you out and you moved on, but whatever. They were wonderful people. They gave us the best piece of advice ever, and it's something that people screw up all the time now, all the time now, because they've never been told otherwise, and this is the advice. You ready? If you follow this on my life, it will serve you well. Don't ever, ever, ever put your spouse in bad light to somebody else. Don't. Ever badmouth your spouse to someone else. Never. Fellas, talking to you first. She nagging at you. She's she she doesn't she doesn't dress pretty anymore. She's nagging at you. You're not happy with dinner last night. Whatever, whatever the case may be. Spending too much money. I don't care. Whatever the case may be. You work that out with her and her alone. You do not go golfing with your buddies. And crush a 12-pack on the front nine and let yourself get sucked into complaining about your wife to your friends. Ever. Couple things happen when you do that. One, you violated that trust that now they know you're bad-mouthing them. Two, 
Now your buddies, when you inevitably make up with your wife, because you will, now your buddies are looking at her with the side eye, and they don't treat her the same because they think their buddy married a hag. And Not your dad, not your buddies, not your brother, definitely not your kids. You don't badmouth your wife to anybody. Ladies, don't think I, had, don't, think I don't have something for you, too. Stop calling your mother and complaining about your husband. Stop calling your sister. Don't have wine night with your girlfriends and talk about how he didn't take out the trash and he doesn't pay attention to me. You address your issues with him and him alone. Nobody else. And never, ever, 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 ever your kids. You can dismiss that if you want. That's the best piece of advice I have ever gotten in my life. Trust me, it works. On top of all the other reasons, it forces you to address the issue with the person you have the issue with. Don't go on Facebook. Oh, my stupid husband forgot to forgot to paint the fence again. Wait till he gets home because you don't have that outlet. If you make the rule, you don't have that outlet. You can't tell your mom. You can't put it on Facebook. You can't tell your girlfriends. You got to wait for him to get home, and you guys can have a big old fight about painting a fence. And you know what? That's the second piece of advice I'll give you. And this, this is hard, especially when you're younger. It's not that you're stupid. You just don't have as much experience. Fights feel like the end of the world when you're younger. Fights are critical for growing. Critical. If you never fight, when I hear that, oh, we never fight. Okay, so no one's having a hard conversation. Someone's lying. If you never fight, how do you, how do you work out what you stand for? Dr. Jesse, I view Memorial Day like you do. My husband, however, has a friend. When she says like I do, I said on Memorial Day a couple times that it, Memorial Day is reserved for people who died overseas on behalf of the country. Now, I don't want to give away my answer to the email right away, but I know you're going to find this shocking. I actually think I misspoke there. I I wasn't excluding people in the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, and I definitely wasn't excluding who she asks about here. She goes on and says, My husband, however, has a friend who was killed in a training exercise when they were in service many years ago. He posts about him every year on Memorial Day, and we've never talked about it before, but it just came up this year. He thinks those killed in training also deserve to be remembered on Memorial Day. I disagreed and said I think it should only be those killed in combat and as POWs. What say you? P.S. Don't worry. I'm not asking you to tell me I'm right and my husband and I only had a friendly disagreement on the issue, not a fight. I was just curious your thoughts. Well, good, because I think he's right. I think he's right, and this is why. The people who die in training... Look, we don't like to brag about them, right? We don't like to write stories about them, not because they weren't just as brave as anyone else, because it's more shameful, isn't it? Isn't it more shameful? It's like the guy who dies from friendly fire. People die from friendly fire all the time. I'm actually doing a show next week on a really bad friendly fire battle that we had in America. That'll probably be Monday. Stay tuned for that. But you don't make movies about that, do you? You don't put up that guy's poster on the wall. Oh, my son Bob was on the front lines and it was going so well and then someone got confused in the jungle and one of his own friends shot him in the back on accident. No one likes to write that. No one likes to, that story isn't featured on the cover of Time magazine. The same thing with training stuff. Same thing with training stuff. And you hear it happen all the time. This helicopter went down. This parachute didn't open. This and that. It's not... It's not sexy. They don't write books about it. They don't make movies about it. So, and it's kind of embarrassing 
so we don't talk about it as much. But those guys are lions, just like anyone else. I read a story last night about a guy died. Uh, I won't go into the details. But a military guy died. A parachute didn't open. Training exercise, you know, gone. That guy was a warrior. And what sucks is, and this is human nature. You don't have to feel bad about this, but this is human nature. You and I, we want warriors to die like warriors. Does it, it like whenever I hear that, honestly, that's probably the most tragic part of it for me. It's not that, you know, left behind a wife and kids, and obviously that stuff's terrible. I'm not making light of that at all. But when I think about that, I think to my I, I, my first reaction, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm just being honest with you. My first reaction is, oh, that's not right. That's not how that guy should have died. You know, that guy should have died in combat around a pile of empty brass. That was a warrior. Instead, he died in a training accident in Arizona. So we don't like that, but I, I actually agree with your husband, lady. I think those guys should absolutely be remembered along with the others. It's it, Look, it's not lack of bravery or lack of willingness to serve. It's just you didn't get a chance to get over there because something went wrong. All right. Dr. J. Steele Kelly. Jewish producer Chris is wrong, as usual. Hamburger helper is great. That being said, which hamburger helper is your go-to? I'm partial to the lasagna or crunchy taco. Looking forward to hearing your answer. What do you what, Chris? Chris just asked they have crunchy taco. I feel like, honestly, I feel like sometimes I'm raising a child. I feel like I'm raising a child. Yes, they have crunchy taco. You've never had the crunchy taco hamburger helper? When's the last time you walked through the hamburger helper line? Jeez, man, you've got to go. No, you've got to go check out the Hamburger Helper selection. It is. It, look, it's where all the fancy people are in the grocery store. It's where you can find me at any given moment. All right, one, my go-to, any of the cheese ones. Chili Mac, four cheese, cheese melt. Like all, I'm a huge cheese one. That's one. Two, let's be clear about something. Nobody has ever eaten Hamburger Helper ever and said to themselves these words. This has never happened. No one's ever sat down for a plate of Hamburger Helper and said, oh, <clears throat> this is too cheesy. You can add your own cheese and should add your own cheese. Three. Or is that two? Sometimes I don't think on the show. Two or three. It's one of the two. Shut up, Chris. One of the two. You drown your Hamburger Helper in pepper. Black pepper makes hamburger helper. There's something about black pepper and cheese that goes together. Don't shake your head again, Chris. Mac and cheese, what? Chris said cayenne pepper. I actually don't hate you for that. The wife makes homemade hamburger helper now, and she just drowns it in cayenne, so we're all sweating, and it's the best thing in the history. It's the best thing in the history of the world. Wait a minute. Hold on. You people aren't even allowed to eat hamburger helper, are you? I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were a sinner. I knew it. I thought there was something. It's You're not allowed to eat beef and cheese together. Are you? I knew it. <laughs> what a snake. All right. We have a Kamala Harris question next. Hang on.
Jesse, how do you know that Fauci's a communist? You know the same way I know. You can smell him. <laughs> it is the Jesse Kelly Show. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. If you missed any part of the show, you can get the whole thing on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. On iTunes. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review talking about how handsome I am. You did not miss the big announcement? To give you an update on the big announcement, I have been telling you it's next week. It is next week. It looks like, I can't stress this enough, it looks like, I don't have this in final black and white yet, announcement will be Tuesday. Tuesday. Back to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. Let's get to as many as we can, Chris, before we wrap up this show. Dear Jay Steele Kelly, Sultan of the Airwaves, I'm just a simple civilian, and I don't understand all the ins and outs of military life. After you played on Tuesday that clip of Kamala Harris speaking to Marines, I had a question. Why are Marines carrying around 20 pounds of batteries? This seems like an excessive amount of batteries. Are you carrying around car batteries at all time in case you need to do some interrogations in the field, Jack Bauer style? <laughs> I look forward to your big announcement. Uh, no, she. Well, look, Kamal Harris is an idiot, and uh, to be honest, I can't answer that question because I got out of the Marine Corps in 2004 and about 30 pounds ago. So they probably have a different radio setup than the one I had or the one I knew when I was in, though. Part of every platoon was you had a radio man, a radio operator. You've seen them in the movies, the guy with the big pack on his back that has an antenna coming out of it. And be, keep in mind, that's the guy who gets shot a lot because when you're, you're aiming to snipe at a platoon, you really want to shoot the guy who has the ability to call in an airstrike or artillery on you. So the radio guy died a lot. Those radio packs are heavy. I, I don't know what they weighed. I was not a radio man. I was a mortar guy, so I already had my own heavy gear. I wasn't adding a radio to it. So I don't know what they weigh, but they are heavy. It's not batteries. It's a battery. But all that said, look, Kamal Harris doesn't – she doesn't care. I mean, she doesn't care. Th these human beings are we're – look, we're all narcissists, right, on some level. And you know I'm worse than anyone else. I, I've admit this. I, I, I have no feelings or morals or anything like that. I'm just a sociopath. But these people, people like Kamala Harris, you have to understand that human being is a narcissist on a level that even you, that even I can't comprehend. We can't. You can't get there to where she is. What does Kamala Harris care about? I mean, nothing. Kamala Harris doesn't care about anything. Kamala Harris is, by this point in time, she's spent so much time in politics, in scummy Democrat politics, scummy Democrat California politics. She's spent so much time in that. Kamala Harris believes in nothing, cares about nothing. Kamala Harris just wakes up every single day and looks to advance. And even that in and of itself doesn't bring Kamala Harris joy anymore. The day Joe Biden... Decides he's going to just go to Boca Raton and eat Werther's Originals and drool on himself. And the day he retires, which is probably about next week. And Kamala Harris assumes the presidency. 
and sits down in the Oval Office, and they'll be obnoxious about the first woman, the first black woman. This is historic. They're they're just going to waterboard us with that crap when she takes over. But the second she sits down in the Oval Office, do you have any idea how long she'll be happy? You know how long? Maybe a minute. Maybe a minute. And then it will instantly turn to... What can I do to advance my agenda? How do I make sure I get reelected? How do I make and even once she let's say she gets reelected, which she oh, Lord willing she wouldn't be, but let's say she gets reelected. Okay, well that's two terms. And what's what's what she want for now that she can't do anything? Surely she'll smile and relax. No, it will be I need a better book. I need a better presidential library. I need to be put in charge of this foundation or that. There are people in life, and you really want to try to avoid being this person. Although they can be wildly successful. You really want to try to avoid being the person who can never find contentment or joy. That doesn't mean you stop being ambitious, but I'll never forget this in my life. I had a conversation. It was uh, me and two buddies, and we were sitting around. It's a little while back. Sitting around. We were on my back porch smoking cigars. Had a couple glasses of bourbon. You know, standard, just, just hanging out, buddies. And, I mean... Nobody in this group is filthy rich, obviously, but we're all, I mean, we have houses and cars and, and, you know, life's okay, right? Life's okay. Life's good. And I brought that up. I said, you know, cheers to life being good. You know, this is, this is just, life is good. And my one buddy raises his glass too and says, oh gosh, yeah, cheers. You're right. Life is good. What more do we need? You know what I mean? What more do we, life is good. And my other buddy's sitting over there and won't raise his glass and looks miserable. And we asked him, dude, what's wrong? He said, I'm not happy. He said, okay, why? You know what he said? I want to be a billionaire. Okay, well, that's fine. I mean, I'm glad you want to be a billionaire. Why? Prove everybody wrong. Prove prove who wrong? What what are you talking about? I just want to prove people wrong. I, I want to do Never going to find joy. Never going to find contentment. Now, he's going to be a huge success. He probably will be a billionaire one day. But let me tell you something. You can find contentment when you're getting a frozen pizza for Christmas one year like I did. I was the happiest person in the world. I didn't feel poor. I knew we weren't weren't rich, obviously, but I had two parents. I had a sister. We had a place to stay. Fireplace worked. Life was okay. If you can't find contentment at all with wherever you are, believe me when I tell you, a billion ain't ever going to get there. I never finished my thought yesterday with my experiment about, I want you to think about you have all the money in the world and you can buy anything you want. And the question was, why are the dictators so often kids of privilege? Well, I know you did it. I have all your emails about you, 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 you thought of all the things you'd want, private jets and yachts and mansions and all these other things. You know how long you would be content if you were given everything you want? A month or two, maybe. Oh, Jesse, no, I would not be. I'd be eating grapes with the Swedish bikini team off the coast of Greece on my yacht. You'd be annoyed with them in a week. People need challenges in life. You have to have challenges in life. And that's why so often these rich kids turn out to be these monstrous dictators They grow up, they don't have these challenges, and when you don't have challenges, what happens is you don't overcome challenges. And when you don't overcome challenges, you hate yourself.
You end up hating yourself. You don't feel like you're complete. You don't feel like you've overcome anything. And so you end up tearing down things around you, trying to lead a cause. I've seen it time and time and time again. The children of privilege. Uh, One of my buddies sells cars. I was talking to him the other day, and parents had uh, come in, and they had bought, he sells Mercedes, and uh, parents had come in and bought their 21-year-old son a $100,000 Mercedes. And I said, what? We were just marveling at that. And he said, no, 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 Jesse. That's his second one. He traded in the one they bought him when he was 18. Now, I'm not telling you don't spoil your kids. I'm not telling you how to raise your kids. What chance does that kid have to have a good perspective on life and be happy when he's 25 or 30 years old? What chance? Have you helped him? Really? Have you? Oh, I know he's got pretty girls now. I have no doubt about that. Have you helped that that kid achieve contentment? What challenges has he overcome? Hang on. We're not done. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. One final segment on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Looks like our big announcement will probably be Tuesday. Stay tuned for that. Dear Steel Frito Bandito Oracle and Destroyer of Communist Dogma. That may be the greatest opening ever. Not long ago, you said Quigley Down Under is among the great Westerns. Wrong, so wrong. To quote Greta, the little climate Nazi, how dare you? On a recent Friday night, the wife and I were surfing for something to watch. I chose Quigley Down Under. Oof, not even one of the greatest bad guys ever, so on and so on. Furthermore, how dare you assail the masterpiece that is unforgiven? Clint Eastwood had that script for 10 years before making it, since he deemed himself not old enough for the part. Unforgiven is revisiting of Clint's outstanding spaghetti westerns and how one of those characters he portrayed would be later in life. Its pacing is slower, but it pays off great film. Don't ever come here defending Unforgiven for me again. The cult behind this movie is, you know why Unforgiven sucks? Here's why it sucks. Here's the best way I can describe it. On Monday's show, when I come in and sit down on Monday's show, and I do the show for you, do you want me to talk about history? Do you want me to crack some jokes? you want me to make fun of Joe Biden? Maybe get a little upset about an issue? Talk about some completely off-topic things? Or do you want me to sit down and go into detail about my new all-soy-slash-vegan diet 
and the Mini Cooper I bought over the weekend and how I've started painting my fingernails like a woman. No, you don't want the latter, do you? Why? Because you didn't come turn on the Jesse Kelly show to hear me talk about tofu and painting my fingernails and driving a Mini Cooper. Unforgiven has Clint Eastwood getting the crap kicked out of him for 99% of the movie. When I go sit down and watch Clint Eastwood in a movie, I want to see him shooting bad guys. That's why I want to see him. It's like that new, uh, the new Avengers movies. The two, the two newest ones, the last ones they did, where Hulk turned into like this whimpering loser who couldn't turn into the Hulk. And the one time he did, he got beaten up. You must serve your audience what they came to get. Nobody went to Avengers to watch the Hulk get beat up like a girl. Okay? Nobody goes to watch a Western with Clint Eastwood in it to watch him get beaten to a bloody pulp the entire time. That said, the ending was really sweet. And, of course, Gene Hackman is the man. Gosh, Gene Hackman is the man. What are you raising your hands for, Chris? Please tell me you're kidding right now. Chris just said, who's Gene Hackman? Is that some kind of a joke? What is wrong with you? I'll tell you what, this weekend, you have homework, Chris. You'll enjoy it. This weekend, I want you to go watch Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. It's Denzel Washington, who may very well be the greatest actor of all time, him and Kevin Costner. It's Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman together in Crimson Tide. You have to see that movie. It's such a good movie. Who is Gene Hackman? What is wrong with you? What? Oh, my gosh. No, he's not a comedic actor, Chris. You idiot. Never mind. Just never mind. Dear Dr. Jesse, love your show. I agree with you on just about everything except for Black Sabbath. All I said was Sabbath was overrated. That's all I said. Anyway, who would win a sniper battle? The great Carlos Hathcock Jr. or that Russian guy from the Battle of Stalingrad? Thanks. Uh, in case you don't know, uh, Carlos Hathcock Jr. was a is a legend in the Marine Corps circles, in armed forces circles, period. He was in Vietnam. And he was one of those guys. I mean, he was straight out of the movies. Just a Tennessee country boy. I've read his biography before. Just a Tennessee country boy grew up shooting squirrels. And he was just at home in the jungle. And they would just send him out. And he would just go out and just kill a bunch of Viet Cong. And come back. And I mean, he gets in this. They finally, they, they called him the white feather. And, because he kept a white feather in his cap. And they put some huge bounty on his head. Because he kept murdering all the Viet Cong. And they finally send, I think he was Chinese. Maybe North Vietnamese. They send this legendary North Vietnamese sniper to go down and get him. And they have this epic, like, two-day, quote, battle where they're sneaking around each other in a valley. Finally, Hathcock sees the, snu- uh, the glint from the scope and shoots it, goes over there and finds the guy. He shot the guy in the head through his scope. The guy was looking at Hathcock about to pull the trigger himself, and Hathcock saw him first. Versus the guy in Stalingrad. Hathcock would make mincemeat of that dude in Stalingrad. And that's not to minimize Stalingrad, but I want you to understand something. And I actually may do that Stalingrad sniper battle next week. But when I do it, it will be hard to separate fact from fiction because what happened was the Soviets were, they were in need of heroes. You know, they'd just been invaded. The Nazis were all the way in Stalingrad. Their cities were under siege. So... They took a lot of the things that Sniper did and they made them bigger than they really were. 
We'll try to unpack fact from fiction that week, but he ain't no Carlos Hathcock. Get serious. Hang on. Kelly show on an ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Let's wrap this thing up. We have an email question from Mary says she doesn't care if I use her name. So I used it. Her question is, am I a boxer or a brief guy? Look, I don't understand you briefs guys at all, man. You, you're an American. You have to live free. What Chris? But it's fine. We can make jokes on the show. All right. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Email me your love, your hate, your death threats, your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. We have a great show for you on Monday. Remember that friendly fire thing? Yeah, hang on to that. Also, big announcement. Big announcement. Next week, almost undoubtedly going to be on Tuesday. Stay tuned. That's all. Kelly show Newton group transfer. They are here to help you. If you're stuck in a timeshare, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them. They're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right, it's unjust, and Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.